Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Today's the last sermon in our pillar series. Um, These um, things that we want to remember, these things that hold us up when the world goes crazy. Um, And there are two kinds of people in the room, and I just want to acknowledge you. Number one is the kind of people who, can you think about your dinner plate? Can you think about your dinner plate? Whatever it may be. Can you picture what's on it? You, you got like two things that you love and then one thing that you're like, do I have to eat this? And just picture grandma over your shoulder and she says, I want you to make a happy plate. And person number one, I want you to, I want you to identify yourself, is the person who eats what they want to eat first and then they save the, the, the stuff that they don't really love, the Brussels sprouts or whichever is your broccoli, whatever your thing that you don't want to eat, they save that for last. How many people are the save it for last people in the room? About seven or eight of you. Okay. Um, then the other folks in the room, the other kinds of people in the room are like, let's get the bad stuff over with so that the last thing that goes into my mouth and the thing that lingers is the good stuff. How many people we got? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we are, I am of the camp of saving the best for last as well. And today that's what we're talking about. We're talking about saving the best for last. It is the, the doctrine, if you will, of the last things. If you need a big Bible word, it's eschatology. But really all that means is the, these are the things that come in the end. Um, as best we could summarize it, it goes something uh, along the lines like this. Um, the, the doctrine of last things, the personal return of Jesus. The personal return of Jesus will establish the new heaven and new earth through certain judgment of wickedness and triumphant vindication of those who are faithful to him. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But let it simmer there for a minute. The personal return of Jesus will um, establish the new heaven and new earth through um, the certain judgment of the wickedness and uh, triumphant vindication of those who are faithful um, to him. And so here in Matthew chapter 24, we're going to look, um, and there are some kind of big framing concepts that we need to identify first. Uh, and then we'll look at some very specific things, and then we'll try to make an application uh, towards that at the end. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Jesus left the temple, was going away. When the disciples came to the point uh, out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You just pause there for just a second think about how crazy that sounds. They're walking along. They've got this massive temple complex. I mean, huge. And they're all like, Oh, this is awesome. And Jesus is like, Look, man, there's coming a day. That thing's not going to stand at all. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and said privately, came to him privately and saying, um, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? So here's one of the big framing concepts. By the way, I said this in the 830. It's almost an apology. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and apologize. There's a lot of P words. I don't know. P was the, word, the letter of the week or something. I didn't do that on purpose. It just came out that way. Okay. So sorry about that. Uh, but the first word is promise. Promise. When you think about heaven, what do you think about? Just, just pause there. Think about it. Okay. Can you, when you hear the phrase end of the age, what do you think about? Uh, if you survive the kind of late eighties, early nineties and all the left behind books, maybe end of the age, uh, sounds something like, you know, people getting on up out of here and planes crashing and, you know, and all this kind of stuff that was crazy and happening. I don't know why it took 12 volumes to tell the story. 
but there it was. Um, some of you may think, uh, depending upon, again, how you grew up and your familiarity with it, um, you know, you've got a white puffy cloud and you get a pair of wings and a halo and a harp. And you're like, this is the end of the age. I don't know how that goes for you. Um, I, I think maybe a better question to hold on to is like, what are you hoping for? And how does that help you think about the last things? For some of us, we're hoping for the day that cancer is finally done. And it will be. Uh, for some of us, what we're hoping for, the, the promise, the things that we're holding on to or hoping for, is the, uh, the, the friction between me and, or between them and them, it will finally be done away with. And it will. For, for some of us, uh, maybe we're hoping for finally being able to release the weight of the grief that we've carried. For, for some of us, we're hoping for that moment when not only do we get to see Jesus, but because we have loved ones who have followed him and have stepped into eternity before us. We'll be ready for that moment. Hope. Um, when it comes to the promise here, I want to point you um, to just push a little bit. Um, point you to Revelation chapter 21, uh, verse 1 and 2. Uh, Revelation 21 says, The new heavens and the new earth came out of the sky and came down to the earth. So there is something profoundly and importantly terrestrial about what is to come. When the new heavens and the new earth come, by the way, let's just pause and set this to the side. Um, like some people think that the, the, the way that the world is, is God, God in, in, in the victory is just going to make it great. Jesus is not going to make it great. He's going to make it new. The new heaven and the new earth come down here. So there's something important about that. So do not, do not think about harps and halos. Okay, don't do that. I don't know how long it would take for you, uh, maybe a month or a year, maybe a week, I don't know, maybe, maybe a thousand years, I'm not sure. But eventually a fluffy white cloud and a halo and a harp and a pair of wings, that might get a little boring for me. I would probably cause ruckus at some point. I'm not sure that's good. Here's what I promise you. Uh, wherever the concept uh, came from, that's not how the Bible talks about the new heavens and the new, and the new earth. You'll have important stuff to do. There's a promise out there. Um, secondly, look at verse four, uh, Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and they will lead many astray. Uh, even addresses that again a little bit later. Um, th there are posers, people who say, Hey, I'm the savior of this world. You want goodness to come, righteousness to come, justice to come, um, things that are important. You want that stuff to come. You need to Follow me. You need to submit to me. You need to give your allegiance to me. And Jesus says, just beware of those people. There is a savior of the world. It's not that guy, whoever that person is. Um, through, uh, th they will either say that they are the saviors or they are your connection to the savior of the world. Either way. That's not the case. They, they even, these posers even can do some good stuff down in uh, a little bit later in verse 24. False Christ and false prophets will arise. They'll perform great signs and wonders. I mean, they do some good, but they're not it. Uh, can we just have a moment here? Just huddle up. You know who the worst at this is? Preachers and politicians. 
if you're putting your hope in somebody who claims to be the Savior of the world or claims to be your connection to the Savior of the world, you're not putting your hope in the Savior of the world. It will be misplaced. Posers. Um, can, can I just pause for just a moment? Um, if you've got a guy who shows up on a street corner, maybe in a robe, maybe he's carrying a staff, grew out his beard or something like that, and he's like, I am the Messiah, come. You probably don't need to be worried about that guy. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the guy where you're kind of like, hey, we're here to offer help. Can we, can we get you somewhere? That's not the person that Jesus is warning you about. It's the person who promises you a a good life without cost. It's a person who promises you um, heaven without sacrifice. It's the person who promises you that if you'll just follow them and trust them and do what they say, submit to them, that the world will be great or whatever. Posers. Be aware of those kind of people. Third one is here, uh, verse 6. Uh, you'll hear wars, rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. Can, can we just, like, thank you, Jesus, for that. Like, that's funny. Wars, rumors of wars. That, don't, don't stress too much about that. Um, see that you're not alarmed. Uh, you, this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. There's, there's a kind of perspective. Jesus uses these kind of images, and a little bit later he picks it up in uh, uh, verse 15 where he says, uh, when you see the abomination of desolation that Daniel mentioned, let the reader understand. Um, he's, he's talking about kind of some specific things, but he's using these images so that this, the generation that's hearing him here and our generation will be sure and say, hey, look, we understand that every generation has to kind of go through this. Every generation has to be reminded that the end is coming, that this is not, that the world as it is, is not the world as it will be. Every generation has to have this. Um, because he mentioned Daniel, it cued my mind. We actually did this um, when we went through Daniel um, a couple of summers ago. Um, we, we did this mountain thing, and let me just tell you why I think this is important. Um, when on the left side here, um, when you're just standing at the foot of that mountain, all you can see kind of is that mountain or maybe one far off in the distance. Where you're like, okay, I'm trying to gauge here what's going on. When Jesus talks about things that are going to happen at the end of the age, this is the kind of language that he's using. These images that he's using, wars and rumors of wars and uh, famines and earthquakes and these kind of things, the abomination of desolation. He's using these images as iterations, different cycles to remind. Why? Why? To remind every generation, every one of us, hey, the world as it is is not the world as it will be. If we could stand outside of the image, like the guy on bottom there, um, then we could see the whole thing. But really, this is how we stand. We stand in the middle of it. We, we stand, maybe we're a little bit further along than some of the people who experienced it in the past, but we're not as far along as the people who will experience it in the future. Here's the thing. Each time Jesus calls these things to mind, it is a reminder. Hey, listen, just hold in there. Keep being faithful. Do the things you know you're supposed to do because the world it is is not the world that will be every generation needs to hear this. Perspective. Uh, And last word here, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. Can we just let that hang there for a minute? 
If your Bible uses red letters, this is red letter material, people. Jesus is talking. The Son of God is speaking. They will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my sake, my name's sake. And um, then many of you, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I just note this, okay? This last P word is problems. Um, Sin always brings forth death. It always does. And so if your hope is in the world is going to get better and better and better, let me just tell you, the spiral is going the other way. Okay? It's not going up. It's going down. Sin always brings forth James chapter 1, temptation. Um, When temptation has conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. This is the way that the world does. And when when God kind of stems the tide of the the, the, uh, devolution of our our world, when God kind of stems the tide with, with a revival or with some profound moment, movement of God, we're so grateful for that. It's incredibly grateful for that. But it's a reminder. Hey, look, there's something better that is still to come. Um, I just note here that we will consistently be the target of the forces of darkness. If you put your trust in Jesus, they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. Uh, Jesus said it this way. Hey, hey, don't, don't be a knucklehead. If they treated me this way, they'll treat you this way too. Because the disciple is not above his master. We, we don't get out of this thing. Um, perseverance until the end, verse 13, those uh, who endure the end will be saved. Um, perseverance until the end is the goal. The, the reason why these texts are in the Bible is to remind us to stick it out until the end. And you think to yourself, oh my gosh, will it come from, I mean, like, will it come from me? And if and when it does, will I be one who perseveres or will I be one uh, who will fall away, betray one another, hate one another, and uh, be led astray by false prophets or uh, let my love grow cold because of the lawlessness in the world? The one who endures to the end will be saved. Here's what I would tell you. I, I've, well, I was doing college ministry back in the early 2000s. Tragically, uh, one of the college uh, kids in our ministry was killed in a pretty horrific car accident. Um, and her fiancé, at her funeral, her fiancé stood up and said, the reason she lived her life the way that she did is because she had a funeral before she had her funeral. 20 years later, I've never forgotten that. If we come to the point, church family, where we, as a people, as individuals, and collectively say, we are dying to ourselves in order to live to Jesus. We are surrendering our lives to him in order that his life can be made manifest in us. If we have a funeral before we have our funeral, then the answer to the question of will I have what it takes to persevere is already answered. Because the life of Jesus will do it in us. Okay, so... What about some specifics here? Skip down in the chapter to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Then, verse 30, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. They will, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power 
in great glory. And he's going to send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven um, to the other. So these uh, give you these four things about the return of Jesus. Number one, um, he is coming back personally. They will see the Son of Man. Meaning like, he's not sending somebody else. He's not like, hey, angel, will you go? Just go. That, that's not it. Um, every so often... Uh, uh, when we uh, have a wedding rehearsal, you know, the night before the big day, um, we'll, you know, kind of get in here. And, and um, it, I mean, some people do it, some people don't. But, but the bride has a, a kind of a stand-in so that, the, uh, so that the bride can stay at the back and kind of look and is this how I want it to look, that kind of thing. So we'll be down here and uh, everybody's kind of joking and having fun, a good time. And uh, you have the groom and then you've got this replacement bride, like stand-in bride, right? And, and all of that's fine on, on Friday. But come Saturday... It would be shockingly weird if the stand-in bride went ahead and came down the aisle. You're like, hey, whoa, 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 hold on a second. This is not how this is supposed to be. Because there are some moments that are so important you don't want to stand in. So it is here. Jesus is coming back for his bride. He's not sending somebody else. The groom himself is coming, personally. Secondly, he will come visibly. Look again at verse 30. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man. You're not going to miss him. You're not going to. Oh, I wonder if Jesus has already come back. I promise you, when he comes back, we ain't missing it. Okay? That, that, that's the reality. We're, we're just not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, um, when that happens, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like, there will be a moment when, when those who have hated him their entire lives will bow the knee to him and out of their mouth will come, Jesus is Lord. There will be a time when those who have loved him and have given their life to him, when he shows up in the old uh, kind of the old pictures, the old images um, of, of uh, days gone by, he will kind of split the eastern sky and come through. And in that moment right there, those who have loved him and those who have hated him, knees will bow, tongues will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. You won't miss it. You won't. He will come suddenly, um, immediately, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation. So like, that, that will, it will just happen, okay? Paul talks about it like this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's, he comes like a thief in the night. Now, he's not saying Jesus is a thief. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not coming to steal anything. He's coming to claim what was his own in the first place. You want me to back that up and do it again? He's not a thief, people. He's coming after his own. Thief in the night is, is a sudden thing. You look up and there it is. It's done. In a different place, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is in the twinkling of an eye. I'm not quite sure what a twinkling is. Maybe you'd blink twice. I don't know. But you look up and it's over. There he is. You won't miss him. He's coming um, suddenly. Uh, a little bit later in the chapter, you see the reference there. Um, uh, he said, that, you know, people will be like in the days of Noah. They're eating, they're drinking, they're getting married, all's fine. And then psh, it's over. It's done. Um, there'll be two who are working together and one of them's just gone. There'll be people asleep in their bed. One of them just not there anymore. Um, suddenly. And then lastly, uh, he will come triumphantly. He will gather his people to himself. And in that moment, you want to hold on to hope. You want to hold on to a hope that helps you persevere and stick it out. He will come triumphantly. He says here uh, that he's going to um, send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect. He's going to take the whole group of us and bring us, to, bring us to himself. Now, this does include judgment of wickedness and the wicked. This is part of it. 
A little bit later in the chapter, again, the reference. A little bit later in the chapter, he speaks specifically about that. So, um, so there are no second chances. When Jesus shows up on the scene, it's over. This chapter is over. This is how he will return. Last question. What? Okay, appreciate all that. What does this mean for me? Like how, how am I supposed to launch into Monday? How am I supposed to launch into Monday? Uh, there are people. Well, let me, let me start us here. Uh, the first thing is, uh, according to 1 John, you're supposed to purify yourself. See, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, um, see how great the love that God has for us. It, like, just look at it. This is unbelievable. Behold, this is incredible. How great the love that God has for us, that we should be called children of God. And this is exactly what we are. And today, what we are is not what we will be. Amen to that? Amen? And, and furthermore, those who have this hope in themselves purify themselves. Purify themselves. So the, the first thing is that we purify ourselves. This really has two kind of expressions. Is there something that you don't need to do? In light of Jesus' return, in light of the hope that you have that he's going to come back and judge wickedness and reward or vindicate righteousness, and he's going to set the whole cotton-picking thing straight, in light of all of that, is there something that you need to not do? Is there something you need to just... In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, um, the scripture says that we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there to give an account for the things that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. We will give an account. Even us, we will stand before Jesus. So in your mind, in your mind, in that moment right there, can you picture that moment right there where you are standing before Jesus and you say to him, temptation was hard. Man, I really, really wanted to do it. But I didn't, Jesus. I didn't because I knew that I was going to see you right here. Uh, the, there is a purifying effect of thinking about that moment when you will stand before him. There is a purifying effect to restrain you, to keep you from doing the things that you know you shouldn't do Thinking about in thinking about seeing him face to face. And maybe it's not something you shouldn't do. Maybe it's something you should do. And there are things that God commands us to do, and you're like, I, I don't want to. I just don't want to. I don't want to bless that guy. I don't want to pray for those people. I don't even like them. I don't want to do good. I don't want to serve. I want to sleep. Nobody else? It sounds like my journal entry from this week. Thank you, God, for all that. Are there things that you should do? And in your mind, if you can picture standing before Jesus in that moment right there, there's a purifying effect to meeting, having in your mind the moment where you meet Jesus face to face, where you say, I didn't want to, Jesus, but I did because you said it was, and I wanted to stand before you in this moment and say, I did what I was supposed to do, Jesus. I did. And you know what it'll say? You know what it'll say? Well done, good and faithful servant. I, yeah, sometimes the kind of stuff inside of you comes, comes up out of you and you're like, ah, but you did it anyway. Good for you. Good for you. Secondly, that we should persevere in our faith. Persevere. I want to skip back to verse 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. 
here's what I don't want. Um, I'm going to speak to all of us, and then I want to target two groups, okay? Um, to, to all of us. To be the kind of people who stick it out to the very end. Because there's questions. I get as a pastor sometimes, hey, well, do you think Jesus is come back here or here? Or is he's going to come back like this or pre or post? Or blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. Um, it's not that those things, those discussions are unimportant, but they're not as important as saying it doesn't matter how Jesus comes back or when. What matters is we are faithful until that moment. If I meet Jesus because he splits the eastern sky, comes back, and I'm like, oh, yes, let's get this thing going. If I meet Jesus in that moment, the question is, will I have been faithful until that moment? Or if my body gives out and I step out of this earthly tent, as Paul calls it, into eternity, absence from this flesh right here is presence with him, will I be faithful in that moment? We want to be people who persevere in our faith. So let me speak to two different groups. Um, Let me speak to younger folks in here, teenagers, others. You think to yourself, I've got all sorts of time to sort this stuff out. Maybe, or maybe not. The world would call you to live for all sorts of junk that doesn't matter. Live for the stuff that does and persevere in that. And for you people who um, have a little bit more silver in your hair, the non-colored kind of silver, like it's just that, that's what happened. I, I'm not a runner. I, I don't want to run. I'd soon get run over. It's just, it's just run, right? <laughs> Some of you are, and you've trained for 5Ks or 10Ks or halves or full marathons or whatever. Analogy holds. You come around the corner, you're 100 yards, 50 yards, 25 yards, and you trip and fall because, you know, whatever happens, what happens. And in that moment, you're like, well, I mean, I'm practically here, so I'm good. Listen to me. In your older age, finish well because there's people behind you like me who really at times need some inspiration. And to see somebody with silver hair step into the arms of Jesus in full faith without any squishiness at the places where it doesn't need to be squishy. Without any surrender in the places where things don't need to be surrendered. To step in with full faith and confidence, that's inspiring to the generations that follow. Run the race and finish well. Last thing. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So here, you and I, we have an opportunity to affect the timeline by proclaiming the gospel. Your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, people in Nicaragua, people in other parts of the world, we participate in the timing by our witness to the world which needs it. And furthermore, we ourselves who need it, who need to be reminded of the gospel. Um, when we take communion here in just a few moments, we're going to remind ourselves that Jesus has died. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he, Paul specifically says, you do this, you practice this to remind yourself that you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Things are not as they should be today. But they will one day. And we remind ourselves of these things. And we participate in the gospel going forth. Why? Why do we do it? Well, 
my friend Steve pastors downtown and um, told me the story a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, dude, I'm still using that in a sermon. He, uh, he went uh, on the DL. He went, uh, he, he went to China to do some training for pastors. Um, part of what they got to go see um, uh, while he was there, this group of pastors kind of went around. They got to go see the Shan Yu Cave, um, which there's a cave kind of hidden behind that building right there. You can see it's literally on the side of a cliff. Used to, there was this little bitty path, and now they've broadened it and put stairs and, you know, actual things so people don't, I guess, fall to their death, I suppose, something important like that. Anyway, there's this cave in the side, and it's kind of a, like, tourist thing, and you go and you see it. And then um, down towards the, the bottom, you, you meet a Buddhist monk, and uh, the Buddhist monk will hand you a sash, and with the sash is a blessing. And then he hands you a little bamboo, um, like, twig, like, you know, that long, you know, bamboo, that skinny. And um, in this next picture, I don't know how well you can see it, but you can shove it up in the crevices, in the holes there, um, because what they're hoping you will do is help hold the mountain up with your bamboo twig. And uh, you take the red sash with the blessing on it, and there's padlocks on the chain. That's what's going across the screen there. And you wrap it up, and then you padlock it to the chain so nobody can steal your blessing. Why do we proclaim the gospel to ourselves via way of reminder and to the world? Because, church family, if there's not a God in the universe who looks down on this world and says, this ain't right, I'm going to come make it right. If there's not a God in the universe who does that, then yeah, we better take our twigs and shove them into a mountain, hope, hoping, hoping beyond hope that it won't fall on us as a result of something that we can do. We better take our blessings and lock them up on a chain with a padlock so that nobody steals them because that's all that there is. But if there is a God in the universe who looks down on our world and says, this ain't right, but I'm going to come make it right. We don't need bamboo twigs and we don't need padlocks to secure our blessings. Jesus has done it for us. He's done it for us. If you approach your life like Bamboo twigs are going to hold up the mountain. If you approach your life like, I need to lock in this blessing so that nobody steals it. I want to invite you to a better life. I want to invite you to the life that Jesus gives us. A a life, sure, that's not, I mean, not easy. But it lasts forever. It's not supported by superstition. It's the genuine thing. We come to the time of communion to remind ourselves of that. And so there are five stations around, one, two, three, four, five. When when we um, sing here in just a moment, we're going to give you the opportunity. Go as a family. You can go by yourself if you want to. Take the elements. Move out of the way for somebody behind you. Take the elements. Celebrate the fact that Jesus has died and he has risen and we're not counting on bamboo twigs and padlocks. Jesus has done it for us. He's died to secure us. He has risen to give us new life and hope. Let's pray together and then we'll celebrate communion. Uh, Father, thanks for um, these moments together. I, um, I just note and I pray in particular for anyone and everyone
in here who's struggling with perseverance. And um, maybe they, they're thinking about Monday. They're thinking about Monday, and th- their question is, are they going to make it? Can they do it? Can they live for you in that office setting? Can they, can they um, do the right thing in that particular environment? Can they forgive one more time? Can they bless when they're cursed again? Can they do that? I, I pray, God, that you help them to persevere. I thank you for the gathered church this morning. Thank you for the promise of Jesus. <laughs> you are so much better than bamboo sticks and padlocks. Our blessings come from our Father because of you. And so, Jesus, we, we um, want to proclaim your death until you come by reminding ourselves of these things. We give you all this now. In Christ's name, amen and amen.